This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Everything Went Black. Welcome, my good friend and fellow co-host over at the Necromaniacs podcast, the one and only Mike Scandato. This week, Mike and I discussed the release of the Confusion discography and uh, the background on the band. And uh, of course, you know, since we're podcasting here, there's a bunch of tangents. We talk about New York City, talk about Brooklyn. The old days, that kind of stuff. Now, after this, I want everyone to remember to check out the other shows by my fellow horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. On Monday, we have Brandon Legion bringing you Horror Wolf 666. On Tuesday, Jackie Smith brings you Into the Necrosphere. Of course, on Wednesday, we have Everything Went Black. Thursday, I return with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid for Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. On Sunday, Soul Knox drops, featuring... On Sunday, Soul Knox drops. Carl Haikara brings you Darkness, The Occult, and occasionally he and I have a collaboration that we put out called Darkness Weaves, where we discuss the work of Carl Edward Wagner. If you want to support the show, definitely listen, share it with your friends, check us out on social media, but you can also join the Patreon community. For as little as $1 a month, you get bonus content, which at this, at this stage is weekly. We have weekly uh, shows that come out on Fridays, we have uh, staff picks, and we have other episodes that only exist on the Patreon platform. For $5 a month, you get all that plus early access to the regular shows. For $25 a month, you can become a sponsor and promote your business. You will get one monthly ad read, and you can do it for as long as you want. Similar to what I do with Portland Distro, except it's only once a month. And you can do it for a month, two months, three months, or into eternity, if you so choose. And it's completely up to you. Now, onward. So, dude, it's kind of weird talking to you and uh, not doing the Necromaniacs intro. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is, man. Um, you know, we, we've been doing Necromaniacs a long time, and I have been on Everything Went Black before. Episode one, actually. It, yes, episode one, as as many listeners may know at this point. <laughs> and uh, I think there's at least maybe one or two other times throughout yeah. the years, but... Yeah, I am mainly your your you know beloved co-host 
on the Necromaniacs. So yeah, this is a nice change of pace. Yeah, and you also uh, were on a couple, at least a few episodes of Metal Matters when I was doing that mm -hmm. for the uh, the late great uh, Gimme give Gimme give Metal. You know. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, one of my favorite podcast episodes I think I've ever done was our typo episode. I just I had a lot of fun doing that, and that was uh, that was a good time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But uh, we're we're talking about confusion this time around, and I know that you you know you got a ton of different other bands going on. You got Inhuman, you got The Last Stand, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But Confusion is uh, a seminal band from the early '90s mm -hmm. New York hardcore scene, and uh, that featured you on bass, not vocals. Yes, right. That is right. Um, yeah, the band band started in in 1990 in my. Uh, right as I was going into senior year of uh, high school, Bishop Ford High School in Brooklyn. And, uh, yeah, we, we ran from then to the very end of 94. We played our last show in uh, December of 94. And, yeah, we, we, we caught what, what I'll call and what uh, I guess others call, like, the third wave of near hardcore, you know, like 1990. To 94 to to me is you know is is to me squarely a third wave you know that gets a little more metallic than the second wave which was had its obvious metal moments of course but maybe a little rougher around the edges you know uh, a little 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 darker in some corners of course but um definitely part of, of what was going on in, in the hardcore scene in New York and back then. Yeah. Now who was in that, uh, that lineup of the confusion? Um, well, the band, the band was started by, uh, the late Frank Collins, uh, who was our guitar player who, uh, he passed in, in 2002. He was, uh, NYPD actually. Oh, wow. And yeah, he, he was also a soldier before he was, uh, in the, uh, you know, police academy, and he died in like a tragic uh, motorcycle accident in Bay Ridge, uh, actually, in 2002. Uh, but he recruited me into the band along with uh, the vocalist Mike Freed, and uh, our drummer was Ralph Kanovic, who was from uh, Midwood, Brooklyn. Uh, all three of these guys went to Murrow High School, Edward R. Murrow High School. Uh, the same high school that uh, Pete Steele went to many years uh, prior, Mike. <laughs> I'm familiar with the uh, some other um, Murrow High School alumnus, so uh, you know. I'm yeah, no, it's, a lot it's, of people went uh, there. That I know, yeah. Uh huh. Um, what's her name? Marissa Tomei went there. You know, <laughs> like a lot of uh, a lot of actors and actresses, musicians went there. You know, pretty pretty like solid public high school in brooklyn also was it morrow um, morrow kind of like more like a, a kind of arts uh focused you know what i mean yeah they they definitely were very friendly with music and acting and that kind of stuff well i wouldn't i don't know if it was 100 percent like for the arts i think it was a pretty well-rounded school but it had a great program for music and acting so that right. that was was its rep, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I met these guys. I think I met, I met Frank first, basically that summer hanging out in like park slope with some other friends of mine, you know? Um, 
And there was just this kind of contingent back then of like South Brooklyn people who went to hardcore shows and metal shows and went to Lemoore or went to Seabees. And we all knew each other, actually. You know, it was it was kind of like a, a small Brooklyn centric hardcore scene. You know, um, I grew up in Sheepshead Bay. So there was like a bunch of Sheepshead Bay, like hardcore kids. And there were kids from Bay Ridge and there was kids from Park Slope. And yeah, and, and everybody was pretty much either going to CB's on Sunday or Lemoore and or Lemoore, you know, the famous club in Brooklyn on a Friday or a Saturday. And that, that's kind of how everybody met, you know. And like, what was the whole point of, uh, of doing uh, the music? What was your, your main sort of mission? You know, like what kind of bands were you guys all influenced by and that sort of thing? Well, the thing is, I I was in a band before Confusion. I was in two bands when I was really young. Uh, one was called Direct Approach, which featured uh, my friend Chris Bozeth on guitar, who, uh, who later went on to form Marauder the same year as Confusion formed. And then after that, he moved upstate. He formed All Out War. So there's like a total connection to all, you know, that kind of style, you know? that more metal-y side of hardcore. But uh, that band was really short-lived, very kind of, you know, meat and potatoes, hardcore. We managed to get onto the infamous New Breed compilation, which had like Raw Deal and Absolution and Breakdown and uh, lots of great bands. It was a, a cassette-only compilation that Chaka from Burn had uh, put out. But we were all like really young between like 15 and, and maybe 16, 17. Uh, but that band literally never even played a show. <laughs> but we managed to get on that compilation somehow. Um, that was kind of how fast things were moving in like in, in the hardcore scene in the late 80s. Uh, we recorded at Don Fury's. And yeah, we, we did these two songs on the New Breed comp called... Uh, no respect and true vision you could you could look these songs up right now on spotify and itunes and that that's me on bass when i was 15. and that band was around for like five seconds literally and i immediately started a band called close call with uh my buddy tom trippy and john lamacchia who went on to be in candiria and we you know we were all sheepshead bay skateboarding hardcore listening metal listening people you know um that band was around for about a year and change and we also did two demos at down fury calls call we kind of sounded like a lot like token entry you know that band token entry of course yeah we, we were we were in that vein maybe a little breakdown maybe a little leeway you know um but that kind of ran its course and it, it left me bandless because a bunch of the other guys in uh, Close Call started a band called Patterns right after Close Call broke up. Uh, for a little while, I was doing stuff with Rich O'Brien, who is, of course, from Dark Side, our buddy Rich. We had like some short-lived projects. Uh, one was called No Escape, and one was called Existence. Um, but again, uh, nothing that really took off until I kind of found the confusion guys. And... Uh, there was a bassist before me named Steve, 
who played one show with them, Mike. And Steve got into a brawl with our Dremel Ralph. On stage? And I think, um, no, I think it was <laughs> right after the first show. It was literally after the first show, I believe. And um, <laughs> he kind of like punched him in the face or oh, knocked man. him out. And Steve was gone. And I literally was in the band about a week later because I heard they needed a bassist. And I had just seen them play the one show they played. And that it was just kind of all moved really fast. Like thinking about all this, it's like, this is pre-internet. Okay. This is pre-cell phones. This is your only communication is, is in person and phone calls, you know, and everyone's a teenager. Everyone is under 21, under 18, you know, um, but we all love music and we wanted to play music and make demos and play Lamore, hopefully play CDs and, and who knows? Like, I mean, look, I I grew up in a pretty big family, Irish Italian family, and I was one of five boys. Okay, as as you know, but listeners don't know. Um, but I wasn't really good at sports. I wasn't like a star student. I wasn't dumb or anything. I did pretty good in school, but not like amazing. But music meant the most to me out of everything. And you know, playing bass and going to band practice, going to shows, being surrounded by musically creative people meant the world to me, even back then. So that's that's kind of how it all started. Now, this is a little bit off topic, but uh, what I, I know you more as a singer, as a vocalist. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go back to we'll go back. But I, I, that's that's a big jump, though. I, I always felt like singing coming from playing an inst a stringed instrument or drums or whatever, and then suddenly being like, oh, I'm going to be a singer like how did that come about? I always wanted to ask you. That. Well, by the time confusion ended, I, it's funny. I, I had kind of always, maybe not always wanted to be saying, I think maybe by some point in late 93, early 94, I had said that the next thing I do, I will not be playing bass. I'm going to sing. Okay. So I knew this before the band actually ended. I, I knew that at some point the band would end, which it did, of course. Um, and, but the next thing I wanted to do would, was be a singer. And I was very into death metal. Okay. At that point. And what I would do during confusion, like I bought like a, like a shitty mic, you know, like Sam Ash, like a cheap one. Yeah. And I, I plugged it into my combo amp where I would play bass in my, in my room. And I would practice screaming along to two spe three specific bands okay back then three specific records one was malevolent creations retribution the other was exhorters uh slaughter in the vatican oh nice yeah. and and the third was Entombed's uh wolverine blues yeah that's a big favorite for a lot of people i think because i felt that my voice look I knew I wasn't going to sing like um, like Barney from Napalm Death. I knew I wasn't going to sing like like Carcass style. But I felt like those vocalists, I felt like were in my wheelhouse mentally. Sure. And they were in my wheelhouse like sonically, which I still kind of think, you know, I could belt out. You know what I'm saying? Like LG Petrov's vocals were... Like, they're kind of clear. If you really think about it, he had an amazing voice for death metal because it wasn't, it was brutal, 
but it wasn't super over the top. Would you agree? Yeah, he also had like a melodic like uh, sensibility to his singing too. You know, even though he was like, yes. extreme, there was like you could discern all the words, and there was like some uh, you know some musicality to the way he was singing. Yeah, and I I wanted to really emulate that honestly, <laughs> but like Malevolent Creation uh, and Slaughter in the Vatican were also musically like confusion definitely was influenced by that as well but i always thought those specific type of vocals were just like i really gravitated to them you know they were really like angry but they weren't it, it wasn't chris barnes you know what i'm saying it wasn't yeah. cannibal corpse um i love that stuff but i knew i couldn't sing like that you know but i could sing like a, a you know slaughter of innocence by Malevolent creation you know what i'm saying um, and that's what I, I kind of practiced. Like, I didn't even tell anybody, like, I didn't even tell anybody confusion. I was doing this. So that actually kind of set me up for, for later on in Inhuman to a degree, even though musically Inhuman was, was not, and is not a death metal band. So it's kind of funny. Hmm. One of the things that's really interesting from back in the early nineties was, um, you know, there was opportunities to release music via like comps you know demo tapes and seven inches mm -hmm. but it was very few and far between that bands actually released full-length lps you know what i mean mm -hmm. like yeah a, one, a band might have like one you know and, and then like a bunch of seven inches and show up on all these different comp tr comp compilations and all this other stuff so um confusion never did release a uh, a full length right no there are two demos two cassette demos one from like late 90 the other from 91. Uh, the 91 is called For the Force. The second one is called Distorted Vision. And then in 92, we put out a four-song seven-inch called Taste of Hate, which was put out by uh, Hardway Records in France. Uh, Stefan, the singer of Kickback, uh, put that out. He found confusion through the you know, tape trading through underground, the underground early 90s hardcore scene. That's how he found Confusion. He found the two demos and wrote to me, and, and that's kind of how that happened. Um, you know, the the seven inch came out in August of 92. Um, but honestly, it's funny you talk about like the lack of full lengths. None of our peers had full lengths. None of the bands we were playing with back then, like all the Brooklyn bands. Right. For a while, like, you know, we, we would play with Marauder, we'd play with, you know, my brother's band Lament and Patterns and Nobody's Perfect and Life of Agony. When Life of Agony dropped their, their LP in 93, they got signed to Roadrunner, they were the first band to put out an album about that entire Brooklyn scene that was not Biohazard. You know what I'm saying? Like, Biohazard got big by, like, 89, 90. They were already very big in Brooklyn. And they put out their album in 90, of course, you know. But the, the next band to put out an actual album was not until, like, 93, Life of Agony through, through Roadrunner. Um, and that was, like, a really big deal in Brooklyn, you know. Yeah, but, I know, uh, I know, yeah, you're right. Yeah, like, for me, back in the early 90s, I it was such a remote idea to actually have someone put a record out by any of the things I was doing back then that I was just, I'd be so happy just to have a cassette of the stuff that I was doing, you know, and, to go into an actual studio was like just it seemed like a, a pipe dream you know or and to have someone do anything even a seven inch at back then because there was all this stuff was would cost money you know like um 
you, yeah. you could, you could yeah. just set up a boom box in the corner of the practice space and like, you know, tr- go for it. And then someone would release it. You actually had to go in and spend money and press it. And you had to, you had to prove to somebody that there was um, some kind of uh, return on their investment. Even if it was like $500, you know, people weren't doing this stuff for free. You know, they wanted to know that they could sell a bunch of these things and make a little bit of money back and maybe a little bit of profit. Mm. You know what I mean? Well, in 92, uh, when we recorded Taste of Hate, I was 18, going on 19. So was Frank, the guitarist, and Ralph, and, um, you know, Mike Freed. They were a year or two years older than us, and Mike Price, our guitarist, was a year older. Again, everyone is pretty young. No one really had any money, but I believe the five of us paid to record that record at Fast Lane Studios on Flatbush Avenue. Uh, we actually got Bobby Hamble from Biohazard as a, as a co-producer of the oh, record. Nice. He was he was sitting in uh, on make on putting the record together, believe it or not, and he did that for free. He just did it, you know. He was hanging out at Fast Lane every, all the time. Like Biohazard, you know, they like lived there, so it was not a big deal. And... Um, it was cool, man. I mean, again, and you know, we, we sent the, the dat off to France, which I have in my possession, you know, <laughs> eventually dat, I got it later. How, how many, yeah, how yeah, many yeah, kids yeah. out there know what a dat tape is? That's <laughs> it's a very small tape, uh, that only probably certain engineers still have those machines. I mean, I'm, I, you know, some still do because a lot of stuff as of late is, I believe getting, transferred from those from certain recordings especially underground recordings but, uh, i actually have a dat, i have a dat player for that reason yeah yeah because i have like a whole box it, of stuff that i've worked on that i wanted to archive it and that's what i did for months over the pandemic mm. so i got like digital oh, wow yeah it's kind of cool that's awesome so yeah i mean it was all just you know he would call me from france and we would talk and he would be like an expensive phone bill and i mean he was just a really cool guy he actually came to new york a few times and hung out and you know there was this one time when we played uh at kingsborough community college like some kind of like fair outside and it was us in dead air john lamacchia's band after patterns they were like you know grunge alternative rock band and the two of us you know played together we were all friends and like stefan like got to a fight with somebody at the college it was just like Fun shit like that, you know. Just almost got like thrown out of the, you know, the grounds. Kind of, you know, funny memory. But uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, the the Brooklyn thing back then was all about like typo, life of agony, and biohazard, right? But there's always other smaller bands, younger bands that are kind of part of the story, and. You would take like Marauder and, and Fusion and, you know, a, a few other bands that I, I think are part of that story. And for a long time, I mean, Confusion fell by the wayside. I mean, I was very busy with Inhuman. Inhumans put out like five records and toured and played constantly. But every now and again, someone would ask me about Confusion and as years would pass, like I think with the advent of like YouTube and file sharing and kind of like the, the gray market, so to speak, of like underground music, the, the word kind of got out about the band, you know? 
and younger people found the band and that's kind of what really kept the band alive and and then after we'd broken up uh rick healy from 25 to life put out this compilation with one of our songs on it that was never really released to the public but we played it live a lot it's called storm the walls and honestly it's it's the best representation of what the band was about in my opinion it's like uh it's honestly a, a mixture of death metal and like new york hardcore swagger like you know what i'm saying it's like short there's no lead but it's really heavy on like the attack and like you know if, if you hear the song i, I think you, you get the vibe that um, you know i'm trying to convey and that song kind of like was a weird thing for us because it got this fame because it was like the first track on this comp and the band didn't exist anymore so it was a bit of an air of mystery about confusion and storm the walls and what happened to that band and who was that band so that that actually kind of helped us too in a way and then in in 93 we got on this this compilation called east coast assault part one that's a legendary compilation uh, on the east coast yeah yeah a lot of great bands uh, two damn hype records and you have like early converge early only the witness early marauder confusion a uh, whole bunch of bands are on let, let there let me jump in real quick though because the uh the converge track is not the go-to track <laughs> <laughs> well they were they i i mean shit i think jake was 17 maybe when when they probably did that comp um maybe 18 17 18 maybe even 16 i don't know i think he's a little younger than me so you know that's their earliest earliest shit and they obviously you know became a bit of a different sounding band but i I reviewed that track recently and i'm like you know what this isn't as horrible as i kind of remembered it because some people like oh it's it's a really bad song above all they hate that song and i'm like i don't know it's kind of of its time it's like it's like the early 90s hardcore is for a lot of bands started they started doing uh, experimentation like you know what i'm saying whether it be like you know like starkweather starkweather's on the comp and right. honestly to me they are the ultimate standout on the comp because i think it's the best fucking song on the comp you know yeah starkweather um, is one of those truly unique bands you know what i mean that you just really can't you know categorize them you know the, the music itself and then all, of course uh rennie's insane vocals too you know yeah i mean it's actual singing meets like demonic vocals and just like a prog metal core like it's just the one word to describe it it's like it's just heavy but that doesn't even do it justice like saying oh it's heavy like you know but to me they're one of the big standouts and actually life of agony has a song on there that wound up never being on anything else uh called plexiglass gate which to me is one of the best songs they ever did. So the, the comp, you know, got us out there. And um, it's funny, there's not much by way of a layout in the CD comp for anyone who actually owns it or ever saw it back in the day. Um, it's a very, you know, crappy early 90s layout. But every single band inside has an address. And Confusion, you know, the address was mine. And, dude, we got a shit ton of mail from kids you know people fans because of that con like from all over the fucking world which was really cool so that helped us too you know um 
Wasn't uh, was it only leave a witness on that on that comp too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, they have the song uh, "Twitching Tongues." Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the band from uh, California named themselves after that song. So yeah. <laughs> so but, now the uh, how the this whole discography project. Mm-hmm. How long has this been in the works? A while. In, in, in essence, like since late 2020 early 2021 believe it or not that's how far back um sometime during the pandemic um my good friend uh mark yoshitomi who uh is one of the co-owners of uh, generation records store and runs the generation records label who is putting out the vinyl version of our discography um a bunch of demos like late 80s, early 90s demos were sold to the store, basically. And he put them, you know, he, he knew there was some good stuff there and he, you know, he put them all on eBay. And, you know, uh, he had like our two confusion demos. And then somebody had this weird, almost like pre-production of the seven inch that I never even saw before, okay? And all of these went up on eBay and they all sold for shit tons of money. And he was like really surprised you know, because he's more from the punk scene, you know, he's from like, you know, my era, late eighties, early nineties, but he was always more on the punk side than the hardcore side. Right. So he always knew about confusion and he, you know, he, he, I believe he said he might've seen us once back in the day, but you know, it wasn't his thing back when it was happening. You know, he was more of an ABC guy, basically ABC no real. Now just Um, real quick for anyone out there who's not, who's listening. There's definitely like a division between ABC no Rio and like the CBs types of shows. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, You know, it's especially back then, but what's funny is by the time confusion was really off the ground, I mean, CB, the matinees had stopped actually. And we only got to play CBs during our original run one time because that's how few matinees were still happening at CBs. Like they'd kind of had enough of the the violence and the insanity. And uh, yeah, we we spent our our New York shows playing Wetlands and Bond Street Cafe, not really CBs. We only played CBs once in '92 with Sheer Terror, and then uh, in you know 2003 uh, as a memorial. Part of a big memorial show for Frank Collins, our, our guitarist. Right. So those are the only two times we played CBs. But um, yeah. So Mark is like, you know, you know, these is everything available? And I says, well, not really. I said, the only thing that's been available technically is the seven inch, the four song seven inch, the two demos. They've been kind of bootlegged online and on YouTube. And I says, but there's been no official release of any of this really ever in, in the modern age and he was like dude why don't we do like a discography why don't we put this out because he had just put out um the first generation records was uh screaming sneakers this band and that actually is an old new york kind of like goth new wave band that had a member of circus of power in it and a member of warrior soul oh wow. it's actually really good i never even yeah. heard of that band actually to be honest yeah yeah it's uh screaming sneakers it's a 12 inch uh it's you know generation number one you can still get it it's really good it's got female vocals it's like awesome like five song six song 12 inch very good stuff yeah it's got uh, one of the guys from cirques of power and one of the guys who was in warrior soul so it's very new york you know you know 
new wave, like post-punk kind of goth sounding band that was around for like a short while. And they issued that 12 inch in the eighties and it was made once and it, you know, it was like really rare and out of print. And then Mark kind of resurrected that from the dead, so to speak. And he's like, you know what, why don't we do this? And it was like, okay. And it was like a lot of conversations. And then finally we, we, we kind of started putting things into action in 2021 where I collected all the cassettes and I handed them over and we found a guy to master it. And, you know, we had uh, some other friends of ours do like some digital transfers of some songs and, you know, everything was kind of pieced together, believe it or not, in the summer of 2021. And then we had had a guy who was going to do the layout and he sat on it for just like a very, very long time. And it was always like, okay, is he, is there any progress? And like the guy showed me one cover and it was like, I was like, oh man, I don't like this at all. Like it was just kind of like a lot of back and forth. It was always going to happen, Mike. The, the issue was when it was going to happen and who was going to do the layout until one day I kind of had enough and I kind of yanked the project from the guy who was doing the layout. And I was like, Mark, I think I got a guy. And I kind of took a shot in the dark. At, and I, I asked my friend, uh, Jesse, who uh, runs the, the black metal label, Stygian Black Hand. I says, you know, who does your layouts? Do you, he goes, well, you know, I do it. I said, do you, you do all this shit? He goes, yeah. I said, you know, listen, my old band is doing a discography. Would you be interested in doing the, the 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 layout for this? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And it was so easy. Like, you know, like, like you're kind of like picking yourself where, you know, like you have an idea, but you don't do anything about it. And then when you finally do something about it, it all comes together so fast. You kick yourself because you didn't do it much sooner. It was kind of one of those things, you know. Um, Jesse's in like a really great black metal band called Spite. Um, and he's also in Impure, which is another kind of like black death metal band. Uh, fucking just awesome shit. But he does all the layouts for all the, the releases of his uh, labeled Stygian Black Hand. And, you know, I gave him all the flyers. I gave him all the photos. I got him the liner notes and everything and, and like the, what I wanted for the cover art. And Mike, he nailed everything like to a T, basically, you know, very little direction was given. And like the direction I gave and then he just kind of came back and it was like, boom, like the layout was done really like fast, you know, That's and just great. like the way I wanted it to be, I said, it's black and white. It's, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like a certain look to it. Um, you know, I, I got all these great liner notes from like friends of the band, like Mike score score from all out war, uh, Rennie from Stark weather, rich from dark side, uh, my buddy JR from the band next step up all bands that we used to kind of play with all the time back in the nineties. And, you know, so it has all these cool liner notes in it. And it was just kind of a matter of getting the right person to put it all together. And, uh, yeah, Jesse did a, like a great job. Um, and it was for vinyl. Right. And it, it isn't until last winter where days records enters the picture through, through the magic of Instagram, Mike. I'm not that? familiar with days records. Where, what's their story? Um, they're based out of Connecticut. Uh, they're, they're ran by a guy from long Island. Uh, his name's Lumpy, 
Uh, he is in uh, the hardcore band King Nine. He's been in like a bunch of other kind of hardcore bands from the O's. Uh, you know, younger guy. Uh, he started the label just a few years ago during the pandemic, and as well, a way a, to put out his friends, uh, as a way to put out his friends' releases. That's, How about a, hell, that? that's a hell of a time to start to start a label, man. Yeah, yeah, no, but well, what's funny is that it really took off because all people were doing back then were buying merch and vinyl and physical product because no one was going to shows because there was no shows. Yeah, so it actually was a good time to start up a label that's believe it or not that's an excellent point i, I overlooked yes. completely yeah yes exactly so um he he actually put out this band pain of truth who is like a huge like new young hardcore band and that has been like a huge success for his label it's gone into like its fourth vinyl pressing and they just headlined the first night of the black and blue bowl and brooklyn a few weeks ago they've done these huge shows with like big hardcore bands and they have like a, a full length coming out and this is all basically based on the strength of like like a six seven song you know ep release but that's one of the bands that's kind of put his label over the top but basically he, he was following the confusion page and i don't know i i would make these random posts about a discography that i like i said i knew it was gonna happen but I'm sure maybe some of the people following the page were wondering if it was ever going to happen. So he hit me up and it was like, you know, you know, what's what's going on with this release? And I said, uh, it's coming out on vinyl through the Generation Records label. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, is anyone doing a CD or digital? And I said, well, as of now, no one is. It's just a vinyl release only. And he's like, can I do it? And I was just like, um, Sure. He's like, you know, do you want to do with, with days? And I kind of did my homework. Like, I didn't know a whole lot about the label initially either. And then I really kind of started doing my homework. And I was like, holy shit, like, this label really has, a, like, a name for itself, you know? And this right. guy hustled a lot. Cool. And his Instagram page is really big. And, you know, I was like, fuck, I'd be an idiot to kind of not do this, you know, through him. And and that's how like the, the the CD and digital came together, basically through Instagram conversations. And he's doing like all the um, like it's going to be on all the platforms through days. Yes. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that's got it out on Spotify and like, you know, we're at like almost like fifteen hundred Spotify followers, which for a band that yeah. kind of doesn't exist totally. is quite good. <laughs> that's real um, good actually for a band that's you know like a like a legacy kind of thing you know what i mean yeah yeah and like you know like i was checking like we're on playlists with you know these big modern hardcore bands and old like you know bigger older bands like agnostic front and sick of it all i'm like oh shit man this is great you know i mean it's kind of exactly what what it needs like in a way doing it as like a joint release with generation and days is is a perfect fit because it, it'll reach everybody it'll reach our you know fans from the 90s and it'll reach new people you know what i'm saying younger kids which is really the ultimate goal you know um i feel like the people who know us and friends of ours and whatever you know they 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 know the band they might have even seen the band back then you know what i'm saying i have friends who saw the band many times you know to this day but quite a few people never saw the band 
and never owned the seven inch and never able to get a shirt and now we're selling shirts and cd and the vinyl's coming and it's it's on digital platforms and i i've just basically gotten just nothing but like great feedback which has been very cool you know that's great man that's awesome hey so between the two releases like the the cd and the vinyl how how similar and how different are the layouts? Like, is it does one have like a book? Because you were saying there's a lot of text associated with this too, right? Yeah, yeah. The it's an it's a eight panel CD, like four pages front and back. Uh, but the vinyl is going to have a freestanding eight you know eight page insert. It's the same, only you know condensed basically. You know, it, it's CD format versus like a booklet format. I think the booklet size is like maybe 10 or 11 inches you know because it's smaller than the actual lp and small you know what i'm saying yeah like it it, it it's fit it fits you know it, it fits the way it should in the in the lp sleeve but um the initial vinyl pressing is 500 uh copies there's going to be 300 on black i wanted it to be on black you know um i think it's just like if there's going to be color, I feel like black needs to be a part of the equation. That's just kind of, you know, I'm a traditionalist in that sense. Um, and then there's a, a hundred half black, half white, and then a hundred on like this black, white, gray splatter, which is going to be sold exclusively on the day's website. So yeah, generation is getting like 400 copies and days is getting a hundred copies. Uh, the CD and digital will be out June 23rd this year. Um, the vinyl might be a little bit after that, or it might be right around the same time. We're kind of waiting on it. Like we got an email about when it's shipping. So it won't be too much of a difference, basically, which is a good thing. That is a good thing, especially these days, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, look, I'm really happy with everything. I mean, we dedicated the record to Frank Collins, um, you know, I, I got some great photos in there and, and the liner notes are actually really cool too. Like Mike and Rennie and Rich, like they all say some great stuff. And, uh, another guy who did the liner notes is an old friend of mine. Uh, his name is Ed McNamara. Uh, he was at a show that we did when he was very young on, uh, it was April 30th, 1992 at the crazy country club, this old club in Bay Ridge that, used to have hardcore shows and it's actually Starkweather's first show in New York. Actually, we, I, you know, we brought them there, me and my friend, Kevin, who sang for the band judgment. Day, used to book these shows at the country club. And, um, and it was like Marauder and patterns and Starkweather confusion. It's a great show. Um, and Ed is an author and he used basically that, show is like a backdrop for a scene in a book that he has coming out oh, so oh wow yeah yeah and it's a fictional book but with a lot of real life like names it and like music and bands like you know like the story itself is fiction but uh there's a scene in the book that talks about that show so that's kind of cool yeah i love when, um, when authors do stuff like that they have like actual things in their in their narratives that may give it more yeah yeah brian king you know he, he never makes up fake bands he puts real bands when he talks about bands and his stories you know yeah um which is great but uh yeah the book is actually called brooklyn hardcore it's not it's not a book about brooklyn hardcore like it's not that's not like 
it's not like a music book, but the, the name of the book is called Brooklyn Holocaust. I believe it's coming out in August uh, by Ed McNamara. So, yeah, I'm gonna keep look for that, that book. That sounds interesting, man. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, we'll, maybe um, we'll, we'll get Ed on the podcast, maybe. Yes, he would be great on the podcast. Yeah. He would be awesome. Uh, he'd be right up his alley. Um, but, yeah, man, I just, you know, it's kind of a long time coming. A lot of work went into this, a lot of back and forth. I mean, between Jesse and Mark Yoshitomi and Lumpy from Days and myself and, you know, you know, I, I got the okay from my uh, an old friend of the band named Wynn Chicalo. Wynn was in a band called Schism years ago. Uh, he, he actually did this, what is called the Storm the Walls artwork, like ages ago, you know, I think when he was in high school. And uh, our our old guitar player, Pete Malucci, was really tight with Wynn. And he got the artwork from Wynn, I believe, in 93 when we made the original T-shirt out of this. And uh, I'm just really happy. Like, I asked Wynn if I could use it. And he was just like, yeah, sure. Like, everything just kind of came together very <laughs> easy, you know? I mean, and honestly, I hadn't spoken to a, a lot of the guys in the band in quite a while. We We did two shows in 2007 uh with me uh mike freed the singer mike price and a different drummer and you know hadn't really seen them much since then we had not jammed obviously since 2007 but before i did anything even going back to, to two years ago 2021 i made sure i called everybody mike you know and i told them that this was going to happen but the funny thing is, like, I literally called them in early 2021, okay, during the pandemic in my old apartment. Like, I remember all the phone calls. I made four individual phone calls, you know, to Mike Freed, Mike Price, Ralph, and Pete Malucci, okay? Told them about this, and all four of them were like, this is great. Do it. Go for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. you never know what you're going to get. Like, I, like look. I was expecting some hesitancy maybe from somebody, you know, or somebody saying, well, you know, maybe we like, you never know what you're going to hear from people. But ultimately, like if someone tells you your band from high school is, is going to have a record out, why would you, and that someone else is paying for it. Why would you say no to that? Like, you know, yeah, like why? There's no reason to not, to not want to <laughs> right, do it. Right. Exactly. Like, where's the, where's the downside you know um you're banned from like your college years basically uh, late high school co early college years um that you know hasn't played in a really long time but somehow means a lot to some people you know what i'm saying and has new life and new legs like why you know why would you say no to that and thankfully everybody was cool with it and you know it's just been a real kind of interesting journey. You know what I'm saying? I got like a, a producer credit on this because I was kind of responsible for getting it all together, you know? And, and, and that was something I've never done before. You know, I've never worked on something from the ground up like this, basically, you know? Yeah. Did you guys do any kind of remastering or any kind of thing with the audio? Yeah. Um, here's the thing that the first two demos were taken from, demo cassettes right um 
because there there are there were no reels. They're gone. Like you know what I'm saying? Uh, the reels are long gone for those. Um, but the guy Mark Dan, I think, made made them sound as best as he could. <laughs> you know, coming from uh, old original cassette sources. I do think the four track on the seven inch, which came from the DAT, probably sound the best they've ever sounded, honestly. Um, because again, they've only been on vinyl, you know, and rip vinyl rips. So I think those sound really good. And I think Storm the Walls uh, is it's a slightly different, I think, mix. Like we have like two versions of it. And I think the more raw, raw sounding one went up there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, everything has been, you know, tinkered a little bit, at least. Nothing has been remixed because there's they, we don't have those capabilities, but things have been remastered, which is cool. Um, I honestly think the vinyl, because I, I have the test press, like the vinyl sounds the best, honestly. Sure, yeah, the usually three. that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like the, the CD sounds really good, but I'm like, you know what? This this test press is very, has, you know, I like the way it sounds, you know? Uh, and I'm hoping once they, everything comes back from, you know, the plant, like the finished vinyl, I'm really hoping that it sounds as good as the test press does. Um, but yeah, it's just been wild, dude. Like I said, I've never done this before. And, and working together with Mark and, you know, Mark has been fucking great, man. Very easy to work with. Um, you know, he, he's got some other stuff coming out later this year. Like Generation Records as a label is going to start being pretty active. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not at liberty to say some of the things he's got up his sleeve, but he's got some great stuff up his sleeve. If you like uh, 90s hardcore, Mike. So, you know, I think he wants to keep it maybe if not all New York centric, all kind of like East Coast, Northeast centric. You know what I'm saying? Um which is great, you know, because the, the store itself is like a New York City institution for like 30 years. And, you know, that, that that's kind of like, I think, what the store is, is kind of known for, being a part of like the New York, you know, punk, hardcore and, and metal scene, you know. Oh, definitely, man. I think it's going to be cool if we just focused on like, you know, tri-state or like, you know, East Coast kind of bands, you know, hardcore bands. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, actually, he's he's kind of he's. He's looking for like lost treasures too, like when it comes to like older stuff too. Like, cause he's like, you know, what else can I do with the discography of that hasn't happened already? That's kind of, you know, from around the way, so to speak. And it's like, you know, it's coming up with different ideas. And uh, I think that's fucking awesome, you know? I feel like other labels are doing that. Like, there's um, that label Radio Rahim, they, they do a lot of like early, early 80s stuff, but. Nobody's doing stuff from like the 90s all that much. And I think there's definitely some good stuff there, you know? Well, and especially now since the 90s is like, you know, like 30 years ago. So <laughs> I know, right? It's you know, like... it's like it's a while back now, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, it's trippy to think about all that stuff, you know? Um, oh my god that is why i just got super sad just right now <laughs> thinking about that um yeah i i can't believe how much time has passed yeah. it's like whoo. but uh see that's the thing it's like look sometimes music takes a while you know um i think confusion is a good example of that but i i do think it began within the last almost 
under 10 years because like about five years ago there were some people bootlegging our shirts and you know a band named themselves distort a couple of years ago after our song distorted visions and the guy from the band reached out to me to tell me how much he liked us and you know like I, I i've got a lot of that like especially like on instagram like i'll hear from younger people who were born in the 90s you know what i'm saying who had no chance of ever seeing us live but they like us now you know i mean that that's it's a good feeling absolutely man so what um what are the chances of there being some kind of live performance to coincide with the release of this uh, material? I think the chances are better than they've ever been. How about that? <laughs> um, wow. Very good. I will say to stay tuned and uh, follow our Instagram and Facebook page, uh, Confusion Decor, because that is all I can say right now, Michael. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, I'll say they're, they're better than they've been. Um, but you know it's been a while 16 years is a long time and, and you know we'll see what happens um i will say that like we, we were already like offered a show over the summer a big show that we could not do um but it was nice to even get that offer yeah. you know oh totally do you uh, um, do you so own yeah, a base do you still own a base well, I tell you, you know, it's funny. I had to borrow bass from Hank from Human. Uh, he loaned me one of his really good ones. So yeah, I got a bass. <laughs> the bass I have is like terrible. Like I, it's like, it is not in in you know shape for performing or or you know playing a show with. But now I have one that I can play. I could play with if uh, if if it strikes. You know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man. I just think also what we were what we were doing back then was years ahead of its time. Um, I don't think a lot of bands were were taking like you know hardcore, like actual hardcore. You know, but when I say actual hardcore, I mean like stuff that's kind of rooted in in short songs fast songs you know and mixing it with say 90s death metal you know not a lot of bands were doing that yet and we, we kind of stood out you know um we had a singer who was was handicapped we we were a very different weird kind of band and one of my regrets is that we probably shouldn't have broken up when we did but we, we did. I mean, you know, it is what it is. We probably should have found a way to kind of stick around and make it work, but we but we did not. Um, but you know what? It's, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I, had, had Confusion not broken up, it might not have ever been an Inhuman. So there's that. Yeah, the uh, it's funny when you mentioned death metal and hardcore because like the first you know everyone's probably going to say well well what about like bands like Integrity and stuff like that but I always felt like Integrity was more of like a th like thrash and hardcore you know yeah well Integrity was doing it when we were doing I mean they were around when we were around yeah like a funny story in '92 they almost played the Crazy Country Club huh. they they heard about the shows happening there 
and they would do a run of dates. It was around the time they played Middlesex, New Jersey. They wanted another show. And me and Kevin uh, McCormick from Judgment Day had a college radio show back then in Kingsborough College where we used to play hardcore, metal, whatever we wanted, you know. And we got the Integrity, was it Integrity Mayday 7-inch sent to us? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. From, from the label. And I, I think we had a conversation with Kevin, but the show didn't materialize. So they probably would have played with Confusion. Like, I mean, we were we were aware of them, absolutely, you know. But it's funny, I didn't become a fan of them till a little later. Um, I knew who they were. I knew what they sounded like. But I started liking them probably like 94, 95. Yeah, I, I uh, became, a, as soon as I discovered them, I was like, huge into them just because of um they just had that that angle that i dug you know with the satanism and you know the the devil mm -hmm. stuff and manson and serial killers and that was a hundred percent when i was into like that whole vibe of like the early 90s you know and when I, when I first checked out integrity i was like this is a band for me man they're singing songs about just dark shit you know while we were not pushing satanism or uh that like you know occult or anything like that we were pushing violence <laughs> we were and we were pushing negativity um you know mike our, our singer would say some very wild stuff on stage um and then once we started playing with death metal bands and opening for death metal bands we started getting death metal kids coming to see us which was great you know i almost felt like we were losing the hardcore people because we'd gotten so heavy and so metal you know but little did I know that, like, I, but like, it just in a few years' time, that was fine. But it wasn't really fine yet in like 92, 93. Not really. Not yeah. at least where we were. Yeah, that was definitely you know? the the leading edge of metal and hardcore sort of melding to better, you know, being more suited together, you know. It's just off by like a few years. So that's what I mean when I say that um, we were a little ahead of the curve and probably broke up too soon. Um, you know, Integrity and Ringworm were definitely in the wheelhouse of what we were doing, you know? But on our part of the country, we had just like us and Darkseid, you know? Yeah. Um, and then in, in Philly, you had Starkweather, you know? And then more upstate, you had All Out War. But all four of these bands sound quite different from each other, you yeah, know? Definitely not. There's no, like, it's not like they, they, they have a, a vibe, but they don't sound at all like, you know. And I think uh, that's why the, the four bands were had like a, a kinship because we were all listening to like the good metal, as I'll refer to it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. We were playing with the hardcore bands of the day, but like we, I wasn't going home and 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 like listening to some of those bands like i kind of was going home and listening to morbid angel like that's what i was going home and listening to i was going home and putting on morbid angel and deicide and carcass and so was mike price who, who was you know one of the, the main songwriters in the band at one point and that's where we were drawing our inspiration from but we were but we were new york city hardcore kids at heart so we had that kind of ingrained in us too you know so it was an interesting mix so once again you want to run run down those dates and where people can order pre-order or when did the pre-orders start and all that sort of business yeah yeah 
Um, the actual digital uh, of the whole record comes out, you know, Friday, June 23rd. And that's when the CD comes out. I think the CDs are going to ship the week before uh, from Days, uh, Days Records, D-A-Z-E. Um, the vinyl you will begin from Generation Records. Uh, they're, of course, you know, they're on Instagram. They have a great Facebook page and Instagram page. Um, I mean, it's just a little tricky with when they're going to arrive. And and Mark didn't want to deal with all these pre-orders. So he's kind of of the mind of when I get them, they will go up. And, like, you know, it'll be like a week from when I get them will be the date we start shipping. them, like one of those kind of deals. And I'm like, that's fine, dude. I mean, you know, we're not fucking Taylor Swift. I don't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> I'm like, that's fine with me. This is this is the underground. Uh, the CD and digital have to be set up a little differently because of how days functions, you know? Sure. Um, but the vinyl's gonna come, it'll come. I mean, it, it may even arrive a little before the 23rd, but it's gonna be around that window. But uh, yeah, Generation w- will be handling the vinyl and, and the CD digital is from days. And uh, yeah, you could also get the CD from the band directly um, via Instagram and Facebook, Confusion New York Deathcore. And, you know, like I said, man, it's just been, it's been a, it's been a trip, man. I mean, it's just, it's nice to be, it's nice to be remembered, as they say, you know? Oh, it's killer, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, as far as playing out goes, uh, you know, keep, keep the eyes and ears peeled. Um, that's, that's all I can say as of right now, Mike. (laughs) Well, that's all good news, man. I'm really glad this thing's coming yeah. together. And uh, thanks, yeah, Mike. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. You know, thanks for stopping by, man. I appreciate it. Hell yes. Thank you so much, Mike. Cheers. Take care, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah!